Welcome to Declaration Church Online. We are so glad that you've joined us this morning. Our prayer is that you are deeply encouraged through Pastor John's message and that God would move in your life in a powerful way. God is doing big and amazing things right now in and through our church, and we would so love for you to be a part of it. Before we join the service in progress, I want to share a few quick things with you. We would love for you to interact with us at facebook.com slash declarehim. And if you would like more information about all things Declaration Church, please visit us at declaration.org. Now, as we join the service, I would like to say, welcome home. Well, if you have not been with us over the last few weeks, or maybe this is your first week with us, we would love to put something in your hands. It is a resource that we have created that coincides with this series that we're in called the Movement Series, the Movement Initiative. Um, This initiative, we believe God has brought us to, um, and, and for very profound things, but if you don't have a book with you, maybe you left it at home or you have not received one yet, please hold your hand high. We want to put one in your hand, so let us see you. Let's... Hands up if y'all see those. Just keep them up until we get that book to you. But as, as they pass these out, I just kind of want to tell you, catch you up a little bit as to what, what is happening. We have been praying since really before January, but as a church since January, we've been praying into just God's move, God's vision for the church. We've been casting vision over the last year now, year and a half actually. And um, we believe that we are at a season of fruition where God is doing some profound things in the life of Declaration and through the life of Declaration Church. That includes all of us. And so we are praying fervently for 100% of those that would say, man, Declaration is home, that 100% of us would join God's movement initiative. We believe it's a discipleship journey. It's going to be a two-year discipleship journey. Part of that includes all things of discipleship, including our generosity. Um, In that, we have a second goal, the primary goal, 100% of us saying yes and amen, God. We want to be on this journey. We want to be faithful followers of you, Jesus. We want to go deeper with you. Second goal of that would be that in our generosity through being a disciple, that together we would reach in a big faith kind of way. And very soon, we don't know that God's timing on this, but very soon we would see a permanent ministry campus rise up in this area called Declaration Church. And that will do incredible things in the name of Jesus for future generations. We've got to think big picture here, just like um, I, didn't, I didn't know that my son said that, but that's pretty cool. I want to get that on video. But that he said, isn't it cool to know that we're a part of something right now that in years to come, people will walk into those doors and they will come to know Jesus. Amen? And so that's what the Movement Initiative is all about. In that book, you're going to find a lot of information, but we definitely want you to have that with you so that you can be praying and journeying with us. There's all kind of things in there. There's sermon note places. There's suggested songs that you can just kind of soak in for the week. There's daily readings. And so there's a lot of resources in there for you. We're going to be on week three. And uh, let's just start this way. Um, I hope that by now you've seen this movie. It It came out in 1939. It's actually said to be the most watched movie of all time. And it's called The Wizard of Oz. I don't know if, you've, if you're with me. Um, somehow, if you have managed to live under a rock or in a cave and you have not watched this movie yet, I'm sorry for the spoiler alert, okay? Um, I mean, it has been out a little bit, a few minutes. But uh, 
So in The Wizard of Oz, we see, we see these main characters. We've got Dorothy, we've got the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and the Lion. And they are on this great journey to meet this great wizard, if you will. When they finally get to the wizard, they realize that he's not that great of a wizard after all. At least not what they've heard. Um, he's just an ordinary man, and he's behind this curtain, you see, and he's kind of pulling all these gadgets and knickknacks and paddywax and kind of making all this mess of a, this fuss over who he is. He's pretending to be something that he's not. You know, this wizard isn't at all what he was portrayed to be. He didn't possess the power that he was said to possess. He didn't possess the power to meet their needs as they were told, thus the reason why they were on this great journey. He was just an ordinary man of no special significance, hiding behind a curtain, pretending to be powerful. So today, our message is rightly entitled, Behind the Curtain. But our story today is the exact opposite of what we see in The Wizard of Oz. Our story does involve ordinary men of really no special significance, but something powerful happens in them, enabling incredible things to begin to happen through them. Now, as we consider this story, um, I want to submit that often I believe that we have our own curtain that we tend to hide behind. We like to present that all is well, that everything is great in life. On the outside, we, we, we present this pretty well. We, we present a filtered version of our very best. But underneath, behind the curtain, the question is, is what's really going on? What's going on in our heart? Are we living abundant life? Are we walking in power are we living as if we believe that we truly are forgiven and free in Jesus? Are we moving with Jesus as we see him moving? Are we walking in boldness and in victory? Are we reflecting the truth of what's really going on behind the curtain in our heart? Or are we like the wizard of us? Perpetrating a position. Here's a big word, presenting some sort of propaganda. I want you to remember that word, presenting some sort of propaganda at best. What's going on with us? So as we begin, we're going we're gonna to kind of catch up Acts 3 so we really understand where we're heading to Acts 4, but we're going to look in Acts 3. If you've got your Bible, go there with me. We're going to have it on the screens for you as well. Um, I'm going to be teaching out of the New Living Translation today. In Acts 3, we see that Peter and John are at the temple for 3 o'clock prayers. This was a pretty normal, familiar day for them. It's a normal, familiar occurrence for these people. But on this day, they encounter this man who is a beggar, um, who the Bible says had been lame from birth. He had been crippled his whole life. And every day, he was taken to this one gate that was called Beautiful in order to beg. He wanted, you know, his manna for the moment. So that he, every day, I mean, every day it was the routine. It, it, it's what had grown very familiar to everybody, very comfortable. And so that's kind of where we pick up in Acts 3. And, and we see Peter and John going in, and there's this man begging, and Peter and John become his target. So, of course, he begins to ask them, and after we see them contemplate this man for just a moment, they look at him, we see in verse 4, Peter speaks, and he says, hey, look at us. <laughs> and so the man kind of begins to really focus in eagerly because he believes that he's about to get a little bit of money for that moment, right? And so he kind of focuses in, and Peter says something to him. He says, money I don't have, but, I, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to give you something better than what you're asking for. That's what he's saying. So this beggar, uh, understand, this beggar, he's just kind of living for the moment. He, he's not looking for a miracle here. He's just living for the moment. He's focused on fixing his situation, but God, everybody look at your neighbor and say, but God. 
See, he's, he's focused on fixing a situation, but God wants to fix the source. God wants to step into the source and do something different, do something bigger. He wants to move in a bigger way. This beggar was looking to satisfy his stomach, but God wants to heal his heart. He wants to do something even bigger than what this beggar's looking for. Please don't miss this. Listen, as a church, as, as people that profess to follow Jesus, the most powerful name known ever, Man, we've got to stop living for the moments and start looking for the miracles again. We, we too easily find ourselves so satisfied with the small things. You know, as long as we stay comfortable, as long as we keep it familiar and friendly, nobody, let's not push too much. We've got to be convenient here. See, Peter and John, they knew that God wanted to interrupt this man's regularly scheduled program, if you will, and move in a powerful way. That it wouldn't only change this man's life, but it would begin to have impact on people all around this man. And that's what they knew was about to take place. So listen, don't, please don't miss this truth. This is what these guys did every day. Every day this man was taken to the gate, the beautiful gate to beg. Every day. It was, it was their habit. It was their ritual, their routine. Three o'clock prayers, begging at the gate. Every day, but this day... This day in particular, God wanted to do something different. He wanted to do something special. He wanted to do something significant. I'm just going to push pause on my notes because I believe somebody might need to hear this. You raised your hand earlier saying, man, I've been begging God. I've been praying for God. Listen, as you continue to do your habit, your habitual routine of a day, you never know when God's going to go, oh, yeah, now's the time. You never know. It's like, it's like that uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick from, from uh, Elevation when he was saying, hey, don't stop at six times around Jericho. Make sure you keep going. Don't stop at lap six. These guys every day were doing the same thing, but this day was different. This day was important. We never know when we do the daily routine of our lives when God's going to want to interrupt us. We got to stop looking for manna in the moment or just living for the moments. We got to start looking up for the miracles. And Peter says, look at us. Look up at us. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk, he says. Get up and walk. He's saying to this man, hey, stop sitting there as a beggar. Stand up as a believer. And in verse 7, he takes the lame, man, the lame man by the hand, by the right hand, and he helps him up. And, and three words right here. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. I really want you to notice those three words. As he did, they stood him up believing that God would move on behalf of this man. And in this moment of faith, in this moment, he was healed. So what happens? He jumps up. He stands to his feet. He begins to walk. And then walking and leaping and praising God, it says, he goes into the temple with him. So every day of this man's life, some 40 years, he's been a beggar. He's been lame. He's been crippled. He's been sat by the gate at beautiful to beg every day. Now, this day, he's not going to sit at, in front of the temple. He's going to go into the temple with these guys. You see that? I love that. Check it out. I mean, just think of this for a second. I mean, just think of the difference that just caring a little bit can make. I mean, think of your world. How many gates do you pass by where beggars are? And maybe they're not physical beggars, but they sure are spiritual. How many times do you pass that person in the grocery store? I don't know if you're like me, but I've, pretty got, I've got my line that I go to at HEB. 
between one and two, right? It's strategically to the, to the door I've got to exit to go to my car, right? I, I begin to see the same people. I've got my McDonald's people. It's tragic. It's an addiction. Sweet tea is good, y'all. And I love my people at McDonald's. <laughs> how, how many times do we pass by spiritual beggars and they don't even realize the depth of their need? So, oh, what a difference just a little bit of care can make that we see from Peter and John. Oh, what a difference that walking in faith can make. And oh, what a difference that the move of God can make. Look at verse 9. It says, all the people saw this man walking, and they heard him praising God. I want you to see this. See, he couldn't help it. When God moves in us, we shouldn't be able to help it. Because when God moves, it's going to make its way through us. When God moves in us, it's going to make its way through through us, and that's exactly what's happening with this guy. Scripture begins to tell us right here that when all the people realized that it was the beggar that they were seeing walking, they were absolutely astounded. It should say that in your verse 10. So much so that they began to draw this massive crowd. And Peter realizes at this moment, man, he's got an opportunity. He's got an opportunity in this moment, in this miracle moment. So he begins to leverage this. Look at verse 12. He says, people of Israel, what's so surprising about this? And why are you staring at us as though we made this man walk by our own power, by our own godliness? For it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus who you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. So he goes on to just remind the crowd, hey, listen, first of all, we're all people of Abraham's lineage. Second of all, um, Jesus is the one who did this, not us. And that Jesus is the very same person as Pilate was trying to release Jesus. You guys chose Barabbas instead. So that's basically what he's saying. He's kind of diming it out. Look at 25. He says, and you, you're the children of those very prophets, and you are included in the covenant of God, promised to your ancestors. He's reminding them of that Genesis 12 promise that we've been so fixated on in our church, where Abram has said, hey, go to the land I'm going to show you. Leave the familiar. Leave the comfortable. Leave the convenient. Leave the family lineage. Go to the land that I will show you as you walk, and if you do, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all of the nations through you. And so right here, Peter is reminding all these people, hey, you guys are a part of that. You guys are a part of that. And he says, for God said to Abram, he says, Abram, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. Verse 26, when God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him to you first, O people of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4. So I wanted you to kind of understand the backstory. Now, in chapter 4 of Acts... It says, while Peter and John were speaking to these people, they begin to be confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. The leaders are very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching that people, um, that through Jesus, there is resurrection of the dead. So what do they do? They arrest them. They arrest them. And since it's already evening, they put them in jail till the morning. But scripture says in verse 4, already because of the declarations that these guys have been making about the truth of Jesus, already some 5,000 people, 5,000 men already believe. And so what we see here is we see this critical mass who's now been moved by the movement of God, and they're all starting to come together. Verse 5, the next day the council of rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Verse 7, they brought in two the two, Peter and John, and they demand, by what power and in whose name have you done this thing? Then Peter, and this is what really got me right here. Peter, now we know in Acts 2, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit has kind of fallen on these people already. But look what it says in, in verse 8. 
Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, says to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? I mean, do you want to know how he was healed? And then I love, I mean, just bold is what he goes. Let me clearly articulate to you so you understand. Do I need to spell it is basically what he's saying. He says, let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel that this beggar was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders, the stone that you leaders, the stone that you, you counsel of religious you know, law people, that one that you rejected, he's now become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And the members of the council, they're amazed when they see the boldness of Peter and John. And here's what they say. They see that these are just ordinary guys, right? They're ordinary men. They've got no special training in scriptures. But they recognize them as men that have been with Jesus. You see it? See what was behind the curtain? was a power that filled them and did something so incredible in them that through them, it literally began to have impact on everyone around them. Well, there, I mean, there, nothing special to see here. Those guys have been with Jesus. The religious leaders could see there's something different about Peter and John. Yes, ordinary, but surrendered. Surrendered, resolved. They were ordinary, but they were recognized as ones who had been, they had walked with Jesus. Jesus was the X factor. Jesus is what made them different. Their surrender and their faith in Jesus led to the spilling of the Holy Spirit. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right next among them, verse 14 says, there's absolutely nothing that the council could say. See, these were ordinary men, but they were empowered by the movement of God. Listen, church, can I tell you this? When God moves, it becomes irrefutable. Irrefutable. This is why I think in Revelation it says, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. By the word of your testimony. I can't tell you, I've lost some friends in life in ministry. And sad ones are the ones when we have these discussions over theology. And I've had people in my life try to convince me beyond a shadow of a doubt that God, who we say is the same yesterday, today, and forever, does not perform the miracles that he used to do. And then I begin to tell them of the very miracles of God that I have seen with my own eyes. Things that I've experienced in my own family. Family, even with my own two kids. And at that point, it's like they can't say anything except for walking away. And I've had friends walk away from our friendship because of that very thing. See, when God moves and it's your testimony, it's irrefutable. Amen. And here it is. Here he is standing in their presence. The guy that they've watched for 40 years sit at the beautiful gate and beg of them, annoy them, familiar day after day. And he's walking. He's in the temple and he's praising they can't deny it. They can't deny it. So, still not getting it. <laughs> Verse 15. They order Peter and John out of the council chamber and begin to confer among themselves. What should we do with these men, they ask. Man, right here, everything in my heart said, you know what we need today in America? You know what we need in the church today? Man, we need people so surrendered, so willing to move in the movement of God that those in need of God and even those against God would have to ask questions like, what do we do with these people? What do we do with this church, this Declaration Church? What are we going to do with them? I mean, look what these guys say. We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign, and everyone in Jerusalem knows about it. I mean, come on, somebody. 
You know what that tells me? That tells me this, that when God moves in us, our lives should be a public declaration of his powerful movement on display that no one can deny. No one. I mean, our lives should truly be a clear example of the movement of God. It should authenticate the truth of God. I mean, this, this situation is obviously causing such a wave. Look what happens in verse 17. So to keep them from spreading their propaganda, there's that word again, to keep them from spreading their propaganda even further, they must warn them to not speak to anyone in Jesus' name ever again. So they call the apostles back in, and they command them, never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Well, isn't that cute and special? <laughs> Hashtag good luck with that. Um, in verse 19, look what Peter and John say. They say, okay, so wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Do you think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? <laughs> I mean, are you really thinking that that's what, that's what you're saying to me? You think that God would want us to obey you rather than him? Now, I'm sure at this point right now, remember you got all these people who have begun to kind of come into this fold. You got 5,000, Right? That have said, yes, okay, we believe. I'm sure some of them are going, well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe we should just kind of do what they say. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, w- what could this cost us if we don't? I mean, what, what could happen? What, what, they're they're kind of threatening and scary. So what, what would they do if we continue to declare the name of Jesus? But look at Peter and John's response. I mean, it was definite and it was resolved. Verse 20, he says, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and that we have heard. They were so overwhelmed by God. They were so undone because of what God has done that they could not help themselves. It reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 20. His word is like a fire in my bones and I've become weary of trying to hold it in. I mean, they cannot do it. They're just like, we can't stop. So here's the truth this morning. Following Jesus may not be comfortable sometimes. In fact, I'll tell you, it will not be. And it may cause waves. It may cost you something. It may cost you everything. But can I just say that when we really begin to see God move in our lives, in our church, in our land, in our city, in our family, when we really begin to truly see God move, it's hard to contain that. We can't help ourselves. I mean, these guys were literally undone because of the movement of God. So last summer, my family and myself took off for Florida because obviously there should be a declaration annex in Florida. We have many, many people that vacation in Florida from here. And so we thought, why not? Let's check it out. Who knows, right? So we go to Florida and we go to the beach and we're hanging out and we go out into the water and the waves are crashing in and, and it's kind of fun. I mean, you can kind of feel the force of those waves, right? The, just the power of some of those waves. And some of them are bigger and some of them are smaller. At that point, I begin to remember my dad because my dad was terrified of the beach. When I was a kid, he terrified me. It wasn't Jaws, it was the waves, right? Like, forget the shark movies, it's the waves. And my dad was so terrified because when he was a kid, he had gone a little too far out and one of the waves was a little too powerful for him and it just swept him out into the ocean. And fortunately, he managed to get back and all is well. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. This would be awkward. But um, so he was terrified of these things, right? I mean, just terrified. And so because of that, he would always... I'm, I'm a little nervous around it with my boys even, but, but just remembering that, just standing there in the waves, and, and I began to think about that. I began to think about that a lot. In fact, 
you know, it made me think being caught in the movement of God is a lot like standing in the ocean and being caught in a wave. Um, when it crashes in, it can literally knock you off your feet and sweep you away. And this can be the true, it can be true the same of our faith, I think. Um, it doesn't really matter where you are in your faith. You could be a new believer. You could be a mature believer. You could be walking with God for years and years, or maybe you're just beginning that journey. It does not matter where you are. When a movement of God hits you, you will be moved by it in some way, form, or fashion. It's impossible to not be moved by it in some way. Now, you can try to fight it, you can resist it, or you can surrender to it and allow it to take you where it wants you to go. Allow that movement wave of God to take you where it wants you to go. One thing I learned about getting caught up in an undercurrent and swept out is if you fight it, that's, the, that's when you drown. If you surrender and just let it take you where it's going to take you, eventually it's going to spit you out to safety. So you can fight it and you can resist it. Now look at these religious leaders in our story. They're not going to allow themselves to be moved. I mean, many around them are being moved, but not them. They, they are resolved to resist. Look at them in verse 16. What should we do with these men? I mean, we can't deny this thing has happened. Everybody knows about it. But we got to keep them from spreading this propaganda. We got to tell them not to speak about Jesus ever again. We, so we can't deny his movement, but we will do what we can to derail it. That's what they're saying. Verse 18. So they call the apostles back and they command them never speak or teach in the name of Jesus again. I mean, what were these guys afraid of? What were these religious leaders? Could it be that the movement of God was challenging so deeply what they were so deeply comfortable with? Would it, would it, would it be that possibly it was, it was really starting to step into what was familiar and traditional in a way that they, did not, they didn't appreciate that? They were not willing to be moved out of the familiar. They were, not be will, they were not willing to be moved out of the comfort zone. And they didn't want the people around them to be moved either. See, these are people, don't forget, who... Supposedly, they knew and loved God. These were religious leaders. Supposedly, these are people who had given their whole life to serving God, but they find themselves at the crossroads of a moment, and that moment was God's movement. So what about us? What about us? Are we satisfied with the small things, even in religion? Is religion salvation to you? Do you feel like that religion can save you? Can it rescue you? Can it speak into the depth of your need and give you life, eternal and abundant? Or does it make you work harder, try harder, do more? That's religion. Work it out. If you're good enough, that's religion. Every religion under the sun except Jesus is work for it. Work hard for it. Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'll work for it. I'll do it. I finished it. All you have to do is receive it. So what about us? As God moves, do we find ourselves becoming uncomfortable? Or, or do we find ourselves just undone because of it? Do we find ourselves at the crossroads of a moment where we are clearly beginning to see his movement? And will we surrender to the waves of that move? Or will we resist it? Because see, if we don't surrender our whole heart to him, and that's really what he's after. If we don't surrender our whole heart to him, the truth is... All of this, you ready for it, will be nothing more than just propaganda. Just as they said earlier. But look at Peter and John in verse 20. We can't stop telling people about this. 
Man, it has wrecked us in the best way possible. Everything that we have seen and heard, we cannot stop. The council threatens them further, it says. And they finally let him go because they don't know how to punish him without starting a riot. Everyone's praising God. I mean, it's crazy. It's like a party atmosphere. It's like a praise break for like on and on and on, right? It's awesome. For this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years, everyone sees it and is declaring all glory to God because of it. May we live our lives in such a manner it authenticates the truth of Jesus, and may God move in us in such a way that it validates the power of Jesus. Why? Because then it will cause people around us to see God, praise God, believe God, and give glory to God. That's our why. C23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and tell them what the leading priests and the religious people had said. When they heard the report, all the believers began to lift their voice in prayer together, and this is what they say. In response to the resistance of the religious, this is what they say. Watch. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Now look at verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness to preach your word. And no matter what happens to us, God, give us boldness to declare your mighty acts. Give us boldness to declare who you are. Give us boldness to declare the truth of you and your glory. No matter what, move in us. Fill us with your spirit. May we be bold to declare your word to those who don't believe, is what they say. And this is my favorite part. They continue to pray, verse 30. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, scripture says, the meeting place where they were began to shake. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They preached the word of God with boldness. Church, listen. We need to be filled by the Spirit of God so that we live in the boldness of God. We need to stop playing religion and start tapping into the reality of Jesus and his Holy Spirit and saying, man, I need victory. I need abundance. I need truth. I need something that goes far beyond the 24-hour news cycle. I need something that, that is so much more satisfying than the small things that I bow my heart to. I need to be filled by the Holy Spirit of God so that I can walk in the boldness of God. What happened after this place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit? The byproduct, verse 32, and all the believers begin to walk united in heart and mind. Can I tell you something as a church with this whole movement initiative? This is the why behind our what right here. Because here's what I know that I believe that God has told us very clearly in his word. When the, people of the God, when the people of God begin to unite around the heart of God and the mission of God, the power of God begins to be manifest. And things begin to change. You can't legislate that stuff, everybody. Doesn't matter who's sitting in whatever chair of government what is going to bring change is when the people of God begin to walk filled by the Spirit of God in unity around the mission and the heart of God. That is our why behind the what. 
So when we look at things, you know, with this movement initiative and we say our primary goal is 100% engagement, we are praying for the unity of God based on the Holy Spirit of God to so grip this church that 100% of us would say, for the sake of the call, no matter what, yes. No matter what it is you ask me to sacrifice or sell, to redeem or release for the sake of the call, yes. Yes and amen. Yes. See, it has more to do with the power of God moving in us, bringing unity, because the byproduct of our unity and heart and vision won't just be a building one day. It will literally be building the kingdom of God. It will move past this moment and see miracles in future generations for the sake of others and for the sake of his glory. See, when the Holy Spirit fills the people, the word says that they as believers, they were united in heart and mind, in love and vision, in passion and mandate and mission. They felt that what they owned wasn't even their own. They shared everything they had. See, I hope that we can see this in perspective because I've sat in your chair as a, as a, as a person of faith at churches before and thought, oh man, all they want to talk about is money. We don't ask for money around here. All we ask is that you pray and ask God because we know what God will tell you. We know what God's going to tell you. So we don't talk a lot about money around here. But when I look at this, I want you to see this perspective. And man, I just pray such a grace and healing over of all of our hearts that have been wounded from friendly fire in the church before that has caused us, watch how the enemy works, that's caused us to divorce ourselves and remove ourselves from fellowship out of fear of what they may ask me to do. Can I tell you something? We're not asking you to do anything, but God might. God might. In fact, I probably believe he will. Even now. Go to the land I will show you. I'm not going to tell you yet, but go, and if you do, I'll bless you, and you will be a blessing to all peoples. What promise has God been speaking in your world for a long time? Can I tell you something? There's never been one thing that God has said to me in promise of God that did not require a faith step first on my behalf. Throw caution to the wind, no fear, forget my past wounds. I'm not going to live out of those any longer. I'm not going to give more affection and attention and allegiance to the wounds of my past than I am to the future of God's promise. So maybe write that down because that was not in my notes. It was good. They were all united in heart and mind. So I hope that we can see perspective. When God has the fullness of our heart and fills us with his spirit, we begin to see God move in a way that impacts us and the world. We begin to see God and the world differently. We see ourselves differently. We see our identity in Christ. We begin to see our purpose in Christ. We see other people differently. We see their need. We see their identity we see God's redemptive purpose that he's created them for. We begin to see stuff and things differently. We even see money differently. Can I say this? We, we see money as meaningless if it exists only for our comfort or to build our own personal kingdom. But we can see money as incredibly, extremely meaningful if it is leveraged to build God's kingdom. We are compelled not to live extravagantly, but rather to live with extravagant generosity, so to meet the need, so to bless others, so to build the kingdom of God. Verse 32, they were all united in heart and mind, in love, in mission, in mandate, in vision. And they felt that what they owned wasn't even theirs. They had a perspective that, man, this is all from God, and it's all for God. Whatever you give me, God, whatever breath in my body, whatever dollar in my pocket is yours. Whatever time left on the clock of my life is yours. Whatever you give to my family, it's yours. 
for you, for your glory, for your name, for your fame, for your kingdom. It's yours. That was their perspective. And it says this, they testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord, not just in word, but in deed. And great, God's great blessing was upon them all. See, God was doing such incredible things in these people. And because of his movement, it was having massive impact through these people. That is our prayer. These people were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were boldly declaring the mighty acts of God, and God's great blessing was upon them all. See, if we were being honest today, I think tragically, we find ourselves a little more like the religious leaders than we would like to acknowledge. We tend to be more like them than we are the apostles who God was moving through and working miracles in Jesus' name. Now, I think our heart, I think we want to be like the apostles. We do. But it's so hard to allow ourselves to be swept away in the movement of God, surrendering to the wave of God's movement when our feet are so firmly planted in the comfortable lives that we create for ourselves. It becomes very easy to stay caught up and satisfied with the small things secure in what we know, the familiar, what we're already doing, the comfortable, just like the religious leaders were. Can I tell you, when God moves, it tends to challenge our every motivation. It should. It should challenge our every motivation. He wants the fullness of our heart. And he wants us surrendered to him so that he can fill us with his spirit. What if God desires to wash away your comfort this morning, in this season? What if God desires to wash away in the wave of his movement the familiar are we, are we okay with that? I mean, let me, let me challenge you this, especially those who say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Declaration family. If, if, if you're visiting with us today, we don't, we don't count you as a visitor. We already call you family. We want to be your church family. We want you to feel so welcome home. But if you have not been a part of this yet, you can if you want to. But I'm going to speak directly to those who have been living into this with us. We all know that we've got this commitment card that we've been seeing Week after week, it's been in our books. We've even told you it's a special card. Put it in a special place. It doesn't need to be a scary card. It needs to be a spiritual card. We're not asking you for money. We're asking you to pray. All we're asking you to do is pray and ask God, God, what do you want me to do to sow seeds into the kingdom for future generations for your glory? What is it you want us to do, God? That's what we've been asking. But as I think about this commitment card, can I tell you, this card in this orange box that's like a two-year discipleship journey commitment, this has more to do with the why than the what. Every number could be different. It doesn't matter. What matters is what's behind the number that God tells you. This is part of it. This is part of discipleship. See, in considering together what God is asking of each of us, I want you to look at the result of God's movement in these people. Verse 32, all the believers, we know they were united in heart and mind. They felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared what they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's great blessing was on all of them. We remember this from Genesis 12. We're blessed to be a blessing. Verse 34, it says, and there were no needy people. No needy people among them, because those who even own land and those who own houses would sell them. Personally, in our church, we have already seen God move in a way that we have seen this happen in some of our families. We saw that on a video testimony last week, if you were here. If you, want, if you weren't here, check out that podcast. It's powerful to hear when God moves like that in the life of a person, in the life of a family. 
Now let me read it again. There's no needy people among them. They begin to sell their land and their house, whatever they needed to sell to release and redeem for the kingdom of God, just to help, to, to meet the need, not just the physical need, but the spiritual need. And what would they, what they do is when they sell it, they would bring it to the apostles, and the apostles, they would distribute it to those in need. And they even give an example. Joseph, nicknamed Barnabas by the apostles, meaning son of encouragement, he goes and sells a field that he owns, and he brings the money to the apostles. For what reason? Because he's united in heart, in vision, in mission, in mandate. He's got a perspective that everything in my life is for you, God. It's for you and for your kingdom. So I release it all to you. I surrender it all to you. Redeem it for your purpose and for your glory. That's what it was. See, it's not just about the physical. It's also spiritual salvation, rescue, redemption. God doesn't want to just fix the situation like the beggar. He wants to heal the source, which is the heart. And he's got to start in us so that he can do it through us. It's our heart that he's after. It's our heart that he's after. It's not about how we present ourselves, okay, our Instagram life. It's not how we present ourselves before men. It's about how we posture our heart before God. What's behind the curtain? What's the posture of our heart? When God moves in us, it's because he wants to move through us. And many times, it means leaving behind the land of familiar. And it probably will not be comfortable. And it probably will require great sacrifice. And great surrender, but if we're willing to take the faith step together and be moved by the waves of his movement, it just might usher in healing. It just might usher in revival, and it just may save a city or a people. And all of a sudden, we just may look around and begin to see the 5,000 coming together, or better yet, the 65,000 around us that are beginning to be saved. Just like we saw with Peter and John, with the many that were saved as they declared the powerful name of Jesus Christ, not just in word, but definitely in deed. It's all about what God did in them, in their hearts, behind the curtain, that made an eternal difference through them. Can we pray together? I invite the team up here, just as we pray. Father, would you do in us what it is you desire to do? Move us, God, in ways that only you can for your great name. God, for your great name, for the sake of others, so many that need healing in Jesus' name, so many that need restoration in Jesus' name, so many that need rescue from the lie of the enemy that need identity in you, Jesus Christ, that need to understand that they're so deeply valued in you, Jesus, that need to know that they have purpose, that you created them on purpose for purpose, God, for your great name, your beautiful, mighty, powerful name, Jesus. Move in us, God. Wave after wave after wave, may they crash upon the shores of our heart and carry us where it is you desire to take us. And may we, may we be willing, God. May we be willing. Yes and amen, whatever you say. God, how powerful you are, how beautiful you are, how worthy you are of all of our time, of all of our attention, 
of all of our affection, of all of our allegiance, of everything that you have poured out on our lives and in our lives. You are worthy of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor John. I want to thank you so much for being with us today for Declaration Church Online. I want to encourage you. We want to be your church family, and we'd love to connect with you. If you want to reach out to us, say hello, uh, maybe send a prayer request, or, or just share a testimony of how God is moving your life, you can do that through declaration.org slash connect. Also, man, God is doing some incredible things right now. If you'd love to join the movement and find out all of the vision that God is pouring out in this church right now, go to jointhemovement.org. You can give to Declaration to be a part of this mission through declaration.org, or you can text the word DECLARATION to 77296. Man, we hope to see you again either in person at the campus or online right here. God bless.